0: You hear a knock on the door and open it to find two friendly representatives from The Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints, otherwise known as the Mormon Church. So what will you say? Will you send them away without a Christian witness, or will you engage them in a meaningful and Christ-honoring conversation? If you desire the latter, may we suggest the book, Answering Mormon's Questions, by Mormonism Research Ministries' Bill McKeever and Eric Johnson. Answering Mormon's Questions is available wherever you find quality Christian books.
1: Welcome to this edition of Viewpoint on Mormonism. I'm your host, Bill McKeever, founder and director of Mormonism Research Ministry, and with me today is Eric Johnson, my colleague at MRM. Today we wrap up our look at a conference message that was given by a 70 in the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints, a man by the name of Adyinka A. Ohederon. It was a talk that was titled, The Covenant Path, The Way to Eternal Life, And in this talk, he's going to cite another Mormon apostle by the name of M. Russell Ballard, who gave a talk back in 2021, a conference message that was titled, Hope in Christ. This conference message was given in April of 2021. This is what he says, and then we want to discuss the wording of this paragraph.
2: Our gospel learning and teaching deepen our conversion to Heavenly Father and Jesus Christ and help us become more like them. Even though not all things have been revealed concerning, quote, the precise time and manner in which the blessings of exaltation will be bestowed, end quote, we are nonetheless assured of them.
1: Now, the wording structure there kind of confused me because it gave the impression, at least to me, that this idea of the blessings of exaltation are nonetheless assured to me, or we, when it says we are nonetheless assured of them. That's not exactly uh, how I think that Mr. O'Hedron is trying to say this. Now, if we look at the statement that was made by President M. Russell Ballard, this message that he gave in April of 2021, we see that he had several points that he was trying to make. And he wasn't at all saying that exaltation is assured to a member, which is kind of how it sounds the way the word structure here is in, the, in this paragraph. And I don't even think that he believes that because he does say you have to stay on this path. Well, certainly M. Russell Ballard believed that. He certainly made that clear when he gave these various points. But notice what he says in in these, in these points that he was given in that talk in 2021. First, he says, Scriptures and Latter-day Prophets confirm that everyone who is faithful in keeping gospel covenants will have the opportunity for exaltation.
2: Notice the opportunity. You have to keep them in order to have exaltation. It's not just a gift that is given to everyone.
1: And then point number two is the portion that Mr. Oheteron cites, and that is second, Ballard says, the precise time and manner in which the blessings of exaltation are bestowed have not all been revealed but they are nonetheless assured." So it's the blessings of exaltation are assured at some time and in some manner, but we don't really know what that precise time and manner is. But he's not saying the blessings of exaltation are assured to everyone, certainly not everyone in The Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. Maybe I'm making a big deal out of nothing, but it kind of sounded the way it was worded here with the close quotes that maybe that's how some might see that wording implies something like that, which I don't think it is. But Ballard goes on to say, waiting upon the Lord implies continued obedience and spiritual progress toward him. Does that not sound like a works-related understanding? Of course it is. And then in point number four, he says, God offers eternal life to all of his children. Well, nobody doubts that. It's certainly offered to everyone within the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints, but not everyone is going to receive it.
2: And he's very clear on that. The rest of that statement, he says, all those who accept the Savior's gracious gift of repentance and live his commandments— will receive eternal life, that's exaltation, even though they do not attain to all its characteristics and perfections in mortality. He says, those who repent will experience the Lord's readiness to forgive, as he assured, yea, and as often as my people repent, will I forgive them their trespasses against me.
1: But yet Joseph F. Smith, as we saw in the past couple of shows, said nobody can stand before God and say that they've truly repented. So does this not cause a dilemma in the mind of a Latter-day Saint? Or maybe Joseph F. Smith was incorrect when he made that statement, and perhaps the editor of that manual that cites that, Teachings of Presidents of the Church, Joseph F. Smith, shouldn't have put that in, and if it is in fact correlated by the First Presidency, they shouldn't have approved that quotation being inserted in there. I think that quote that we read yesterday about him saying that nobody can stand before God and say that they've truly repented, that seems to unravel everything about Mormonism because that subject, repentance, is such a huge topic when it comes to the LDS salvation or exaltation. That must be something they have to have done during this mortality. Then Mr. O'Hederon goes on to say this,
2: The doctrine of Christ helps us find and stay on the covenant path, and the gospel is so arranged that the Lord's promised blessings are received through sacred ordinances and covenants. God's prophet, President Russell M. Nelson, admonished us in his January 16, 2018 telecast to, quote, keep on the covenant path. Your commitment to follow the Savior by making covenants with him and then keeping those covenants will open the door to every spiritual blessing and privilege available to men, women, and children everywhere. The end for which each of us strives is to be endowed with power in a house of the Lord, sealed as families, faithful to covenants, made in a temple that qualify us for the greatest gift of God, that of eternal life.
1: When I hear this kind of language coming from my worldview, it just seems so confusing. I mean, this is supposed to be a gift, but it's something you have to qualify for. That would tend to tell me that it's not really a gift. It's something that you're purchasing, though not with money, you're purchasing it with your performance. You have to do something in order to get this. So it's really not a gift in the New Testament sense of the word. This is another case, folks, where asking your LDS friend to define for you what the word gift really means becomes very important because, as you can see from this citation by Russell M. Nelson, the 17th president of the church, you must keep all those covenants. And only when you do that, get sealed to your family, be faithful to those covenants, made in a temple, then you qualify for the greatest quote-unquote gift of God, that of eternal life. What does he say in the next paragraph?
2: God will not abandon his relationship with or withhold his promised blessings of eternal life from any faithful covenant keeper.
1: Let me stop you there, because the way that's worded, it makes me wonder. If God will not abandon his relationship with any faithful covenant keeper— Will he abandon his relationship with someone who's not a faithful covenant keeper? And the reason I ask this is because the LDS Church makes a big deal out of this idea that all human beings are the children of God. That's what gives people, they say, this divine nature and that God's love is perfect. It was emphasized over and over in this particular conference in 2022. So if God will abandon his relationship with those who are not faithful covenant keepers, how do you explain this perfect love of God that was emphasized so much during this particular conference in April 2022? It's like you can throw out all these words, and these words you know are going to comfort people, but what do these words really mean in their proper context? What does it really even mean here if God will not abandon his relationship with faithful covenant keepers? It seems obvious that he is going to abandon his relationship with those who are not faithful covenant keepers. And we do know from Mormon doctrine itself that once a person is assigned to, let's say, the terrestrial or celestial kingdom, God the Father never visits them again. Now, Jesus is kind of a floater. He, he goes back and forth. But God the Father doesn't. He stays within the realm of the celestial kingdom. If you're in the, any lower level, you can't expect to see him ever again. He doesn't want to see you ever again, it seems. So this is where I wonder why this language about God's perfect love for his children, and then here, will he really abandon his relationship with those who are not faithful covenant keepers if they are in fact, as the LDS Church says, they are children of God?
2: What do you think the percentage is, Bill, of those in the LDS Church who are faithful covenant keepers versus those who break their covenants?
1: I would think that probably 100% of them are covenant breakers. They're covenant breakers by the mere fact that they're always repenting. And they're being told to repent all the time. They should be telling them to stop repenting. If you stop repenting, that means you are keeping all the commandments.
2: And that's the abandonment of sin that it says in D&C 5843, that the way that you truly know that somebody has repented is they cease that sin. They no longer do it. So as you say, I think the stress should not be repenting daily, but quit repenting and start doing.
1: Well, he ends this talk by saying this. He says, I testify that covenant keepers are promised, quote, peace in this world and eternal life in the world to come. End quote. Now, as you can imagine, he's not quoting the Bible. He's quoting Doctrine and Covenants, section fifty-nine twenty-three. And this goes back to what I said earlier in the week, that I do not believe that the restored gospel, as understood by members of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints, is the gospel that is described in the New Testament. When he says, I testify that covenant keepers are promised peace in this world and eternal life in the world to come, I can say as a New Testament believer that I have peace in this world, and I do believe I have eternal life in the world to come. And yet it's not based on my ability to keep any amount of covenants, especially the covenants given by their church, but it's by my faith in what Christ did for me on the cross at Calvary. I am justified by faith. I believe and I am saved. I have every hope of gaining that eternal life that has been promised to me in the New Testament. And you can have that same promise. You can have that same promise of eternal life by placing your faith in Christ. Now, I know there's probably some Latter-day Saint listening to me saying, but I have faith in Christ. No, you don't. Not the faith that I'm talking about. My faith holds that Jesus paid all that I need in order to have that eternal life. No Latter-day Saint believes that. At least they're not supposed to, according to what we've been reading in these talks in General Conference in April of 2022. So when a Latter-day Saint say they believe, we need to ask them, well, what do you mean by that? Do you believe Jesus paid it all, meaning nothing is left for you to do? Or do you have to do something above it?